these themes, they're, they're not like it's first one, then another, then another, and then he's done. They, these themes keep popping up throughout the letter. They keep popping up, you know, and he moves fluidly from one and then back to another again and so forth. So um, to get everything that he says about any of these themes, you really have to read the whole letter and then just take note. Oh, now he's talking about this one. Now he's talking about this one. Just write those down. I encourage you to just write those down. Those three themes are, one, the incarnation of Christ, that God came in the flesh in, in Jesus. The Son of God became flesh. Uh, that's the incarnation of Christ. Second is he talks about our love for our brothers and sisters, particularly those who are in need. But, but the love that we have uh, within the church family, within the, the, the greater body of Christ, the love that we have for our brothers and sisters. And the third one is the relationship between sin and those who are children of God. And uh, a kind of extension of that, how we can know we are truly children of God. So uh, to this point, we have seen all three themes so far, what we've looked at. So just keep watching as we read through the passage in a moment and talk about it. Keep an eye out for those, those themes. So far in the series, we've talked about knowing the real Jesus was week one. And then we talked about knowing genuine faith, not just an artificial faith or, or an idea, but what does genuine faith look like? Uh, we talked about knowing genuine community. Is it just coming together or is there more to it involved? We talked about what that entails. And last week we talked about knowing where you stand. So today we're going to talk about knowing who you are. Not knowing our true identity is the root of many of the struggles that we face in life. It's because we, 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 we fail to fully grasp who we really are, what our true identity is in Christ. So let's go ahead and read our passage for today. We're beginning with 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and then we're going to go on into chapter 3. And now, dear children... Continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason world, the world does not know us is that it, does not, it did not know him. Dear friends, now we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning, and no one who com continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. 
This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. A couple of the themes right there. I want to look at who we are in Christ because there is a strength and there is a freedom that comes when we understand who we are as believers. Not just our name, not just our job title, but our true identity. And a lot of people don't really know their true identity. They confuse it with their job. You know, I might say, oh, you know, what's my identity? Well, I'm a pastor, you know, uh, uh, and, and no, that's what I do. It's not my identity. Um, uh, a lot of us confuse our job, you know, what we do with our identity. And, and that's really not by accident because the enemy knows that if he can keep the believer from truly knowing who they are in Christ, then he can keep them from walking in the freedom and the power that rightfully belong to them in Jesus. So that's one of the main areas that the enemy targets in a believer's life. He knows that if he can get you from walking in your true identity, he can keep you in bondage and fear. So he keeps feeding you lies because that's what he wants to do. He keeps feeding you lies to keep you trapped and, and keep you from knowing your true identity. That's why there's a whole unit. We talked about School of Kingdom ministry. That's why there's a whole unit on our identity in Christ. A whole unit. There's a unit on worldview. There's a unit on identity, and there's several others. But those are two key uh, key ones I've found out. And 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 you know the Bible has a lot to say about who we are in Christ. Today we're just going to look at one aspect, and that is if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Bible says you are a child of God. When that reality moves from our head and really gets into our heart. It'll change our lives. We'll find a confidence. We'll find a boldness that we never had before. So there will be joy. There will be a power and there will be a freedom like, unlike anything we've ever known. So this morning I want to briefly look at four things that being children of God means for us it means for you and for me first one is because we are God's children not just his creation but because we are God's children we are the recipients of extravagant love if you don't already have chapter 3 verse 1 highlighted or underlined or circled or starred in your bible I would do it today if you don't have a Bible you can mark in, then get one and mark it as much as you can. Verse 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. It doesn't know us because it didn't know Him, and we are His Children, I love how the NIV uses the word lavished here because it accurately describes how the Father pours his love into our hearts. The word lavish means 
to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities on, to cover something thickly or, or liberally with, lavish. It's, that's how God loves his children. That's how he pours his love into our hearts. He lavishes his love on us. God is not stingy with his love. He is extravagant. And what an honor and a privilege it is to be called by God's name and belong to his family. To be able to call God Father. Not everyone can do that. But those who are his children can. You know, there are, there are, are uh, uh, a lot of kids in our, you know, extended, Lisa's in my extended family and that, uh, and, you know, my cousins, kids, and everything else. There's only three kids in this, and they're adults now, but three kids in this entire world. They can call me dad. Just three. Believers have the privilege and the honor of being able to come to God and call him father, dad, Abba. We're the recipients of our father's extravagant love. And because of that, the second thing is we have a glorious future hope, verses 2 and 3. And again, we're not covering every single aspect of this whole passage, but we're picking out some key things. Verses 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But, what we, know, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. As if it wasn't already enough to be simply counted as God's children, he says there's even more in store that we don't know yet. It's, it's, it's only going to get better. What we will be has not yet been made known. Currently, it's a mystery. We don't know everything fully that God has in store for his children. We don't know what that's fully going to look like, but we know that it's going to be wonderful. And if it starts with being his child and then moves, how, you know, and, and then just grows on that, what, how wonderful is that going to be? It says we know that when Christ appears, you know, when Christ appears, we know that we're going to be able to gaze into his eyes and see him as he is. We will be like him. We will be a reflection of him. I like what, what, what N.T. Wright said. Listen to N.T. Wright. He's one of the world's foremost theologians. Um, he's talking about this idea of gazing at someone or looking at someone. There is something transformative about eye contact. People who spend a lot of time looking at one another sometimes come to resemble each other. Perhaps this is because they're instinctively copying one another's facial expressions until their muscles and tissue begin to be reshaped in that way. Imagine beginning that process at last after years of love which had been expressed through words and touch but never before through sight. And he tells the story of a, of a man that went blind, and uh, then he married and had children. 
And then there was a discovery with, in the medical field where he was able to have surgery uh, and have his eyesight restored, and how then for the first time he was able to look upon his children whom he loved with all his heart and actually see them. And, and, you know, God has given his children a tremendous promise. And while we can't literally look into his eyes at the present, we can gaze into his heart through his word. And we can hear his voice in prayer. And then as, as his word works to purify our hearts and works to purify our lives, we know that one day we shall see God face to face. One day we, be, we will be able to look into his eyes. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Not hope to, not might, not maybe. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's a wonderful promise and a wonderful mystery that won't be fully revealed to us until the day that we see Jesus face to face. That's the hope that we have as his children. And all who have that hope work to purify their lives so their lives more and more reflect the life of Jesus, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. They will commit themselves to live like Jesus, not because of rules and not because of regulations, but because we are grateful, because we have been the recipient of our Father's gracious, extravagant love that He has lavished on us. Therefore, we want to please Him. See, we in the church, and I mean Big C Church with that, we in the church have to get past this this. this, this thought of have to, this have to thinking or this can't thinking that says I have to do this or I can't do that. It's not a have to, it's a get to. I get to do this. I get to run into my heavenly father's presence. I get to do the things that please him. I get to walk free from the things that always kept me bound and caused me to stumble. I get to genuinely be excited about the things of God. I don't have to try to work something up. I don't have to try to work up a, a wishful but false, in the end, enthusiasm. I get to be excited about the things of God. I get to do the things that he's doing. There is a life for us that is beyond the get to, a life that we get to live. Picture a little child and a little child's relationship, excited relationship with, with, with their father. And that, you know, that eagerly calls out, Daddy, Daddy, watch me. Watch me. I came across a video recently on, uh, you're familiar with the Time Hop app, shows up things from, you know, way back when. This video popped up of Lisa, who is, uh, uh, who is um, 12 now, and uh, hard to believe, but when she was a little girl, she was calling out to her mother and saying, Mommy, watch me, watch me, watch me, Mommy. And, and she had a beach ball, and she was tossing it up in the air, and it's like, really high really high, you know, mommy, really high, you know, it's like so excited that she could toss this beach ball, you know, up in the air, maybe six inches above her head, you know, really high, and, and but, you know, that's the kind of relation, and she was laughing, and, and it's such a joy to watch, 
That's the relationship that we have with our Father. Watch me, Daddy. Watch me, Father. And the Father, when He sees us, when He sees us trying to walk out the life that Jesus lived, trying to, you know, and, and just enjoying His love and communicating with Him, He laughs a joyful laugh. He grins. He's filled with joy because he's watching us children as his children trying to please him. Even when we fall on our face trying to do it, he, he enjoys watching his children. But we have an enemy who stands in our way and tries to stop us. We have an enemy who works day and night to stand in our way and trying to throw obstacles in our path. He throws temptations in our, in our, in our way. He, he speaks lies into our ears and into our minds and he, you know, it, to try to trip us up and keep us bound in sin. And he attacks who we are in Christ. He tries to get us to conform to the culture around us instead of conforming to Jesus. He gets us to buy into the falsehoods that the culture around us buys into, but the truth is we don't have to live that way. There is a truth every one of us uh, uh, needs to know, and we need to know this truth not just in our head, but we need to get it in our heart. We need to walk it out in confidence and boldness. And that's the truth that Satan's power is broken over our lives. It is broken. God intends for us not just to know that in our minds, but to walk it out in the freedom of our lives. And, and verse 8, verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work destroy the devil's work, not just bring forgiveness of sins, which that's wonderful and that's awesome, and yes, that's a big part of it, but he also destroys the work that the enemy is doing in our lives. Jesus came to destroy the lies that the devil has been speaking to you and been speaking to me our whole lives. Lies about God, lies about our own identity, Lies that say we can't live the way that God wants us to, or that if we do, we will somehow be missing out on something. The lies that say our lives can't change. The lies that, that excuse the sin in our lives. The lives that keep us stuck where we are. Often we hear and accept the lies of the enemy without even realizing what we're doing. We don't realize that those lies about who we are and what we are, they come from the enemy himself and they keep us bound up with the same problems year after year after year. And he tells us that we don't matter, but we do. He tells us that we're nobody, but we're children of God. He tells us that we're defined by our past, but God tells us we are a new creation defined by him. Jesus came to free us from our past, and we are his children. We have a choice. We can continue to walk in the chains of sin and the chains of our past, the things that bind us, or we can walk in the freedom and the power that's available to us as children of God. And that leads us to the fourth truth that being a child of God means, and that is that we have the power to live a changed life in the present, 
not just in the future sometime, but right now here in the present. Let's read the surrounding passage around verse 8 that we just read. Verse 8 in the middle of this. So let's start with verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. He begins this section with, don't let anyone lead you astray. And he's referring to, remember in past weeks we talked about the fact that false teachers had crept into the body and were drawing people away um, uh, with, with, with false teachings and with lies. And he, he's, he's once again, he's referring to the false teachers here when he says, don't let them lead you astray. These teachers that were influencing the community of believers. And then he goes into a discussion of how to tell the difference between the false believers and true believers between who's really born of God and who isn't. Now, I know that upon first glance and reading this, it looks like he's saying that if you truly belong to God, you will never sin again. Doesn't it look like that? It appears to say that, but it's not really saying that. You say, and if you fall into sin, it shows that you're really not God's child. That's not really what he's saying at all. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about a continuation of, okay, I've said yes to Jesus, but I'm just going to keep living the way I was living and not worry about anything. That's what he's talking about. Basically, what this passage say, is saying is that, the life of a true believer is going to begin to look different than that of an unbeliever. Their life is going to begin to change. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And when he moves in, he starts cleaning house. Your life then begins to change. It may start with a radical, immediate change, or it may start slow and build, but there will be change. When I gave my life to Christ in July of, of uh, 78, there were some things in my life that immediately changed. There were other things that just started to slowly change. There were some things I immediately said, okay, this has got to change right away. And there were other things that had to change that I didn't find out even until years later, and I'm still finding out because it's a process of growth. He's not saying that, that you'll never, you know, sin again or you'll never fall into another sin. He's saying the course of your life is going to change and you're going to start looking different than you did before. And you're going to start looking different than, the lie, than those that are in the community around, in the, in the not church community, but in the world around you. Um, and, you know, if, if your life doesn't change, then you need to ask yourself, why not? See, Paul says in Colossians that we were rescued from Satan's tyrannical rule of darkness. We don't live there anymore. We've been rescued from that. And we now reside in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. As God's child, you have the power to say no to sin.
the power to say no. Sin no longer has power to rule your life anymore. But we've bought into the lie that we can't help it. We've bought into the lie that says we can't change. We bought into the lie that it's, that it's forever you know, going to be this way. No. Now, there are things that we struggle with. There are things that we, that we you know, keep falling over and over and over and over. But we keep trying. We keep moving toward Jesus. And, you know, as you move toward Jesus, one day you're going to find yourself, you'll trip, but you won't fall. And it's like, wow, there's a change that's beginning to take place. Our lives changes. The Holy Spirit works in our lives. But we have, the, we have the power to say yes and we have the power to say no. Sin no longer has power to rule our life. One of the problems believers have today is we spend more time trying to fit into the world than stand out from it. And by stand out from it, I don't mean be some weird, obnoxious person. I just mean that there should be some differences in the things we value, the way we live our lives, and so forth. And I'm not talking about a holier-than-thou attitude. I'm not talking about self-righteousness. I'm not talking about a legalistic following of rules and, and do's and don'ts. I'm talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit living inside of us transforms our lives so that increasingly we live holy lives. Coming to faith in Christ isn't about signing your name on a list. It's about starting a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ being formed in us. And as Christ is formed in us, we are drawn more and more to him day by day and the less attractional pull sin has on us. The more time I spend with Jesus, the less pull other things have on my life remember jesus said you know that that uh scripture tells us that that uh um the enemy didn't have anything in jesus it's it's like yeah the enemy didn't have anything to pull him with because his desires were totally for his father and doing his father's will The more our lives begin to resemble Christ, the less they resemble the world that we live in. The more we grow in Christ, the more sin should bother us and the less we should be attracted to us, to, to it. First John's a powerful book that he's given to us as his children. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, Abba, Daddy. Reveal to us the truth and the depth of truth that we are called children of God. It's not just a something we should lightly say. We are your children. And we thank you that we can call us that and that you, uh, and, and that you um, 
lavished your extravagant love upon us. Lord, some of these things we know in our head, but we want to know them in our hearts. Reveal them to us. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We want to know you better. We want to be more like Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come. Take the things that we have done, that we have heard today, the truths that we have heard, and seal them in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. Let's put your heart in a receiving posture. And now may the Lord, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, and that you may begin to walk in the fullness of your true identity, that you are children of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go out and have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night.